The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or at lifehousechurch.org. Have you ever just wanted to escape? I don't just mean like you want you needed to get away to get on vacation. Hey, I mean it's summertime. Everybody wants to get away on vacation. Some of you are waiting to get away on vacation. Some of you just got back from vacation and now you want to get back on vacation. Maybe you need a vacation from your vacation, but I don't mean that. And I don't just mean that when you get embarrassed and you want to like crawl under the table and hide. I mean those times when life gets overwhelming, unbearable, and you have this overwhelming urge to just run and hide, to escape, to unburden yourself, to go, this is too overwhelming, I need to get out. Some take extreme measures to just run away from responsibilities, to run and hide. But let's be honest, we all struggle with these feelings. The more responsibility you take on and the more burdens life puts on you, even at a young age, the greater the increase or the greater the need or the desire to just want to run away or escape. And and where do you run? Where do you hide? Maybe some of you have run to faith. You've run to the arms of God. You've run into the church hoping to find relief, hoping to find escape, hoping to find a place where you can hide from the burdens and challenges and unbearable realities of life. But what you often find is that faith brings its own burden. Sometimes Christianity can become its own unbearable cross. Look, as I was preparing for this message, I was thinking about times, many times, especially in our, the climate of our culture today, when I have felt so much pressure to just want to be quiet, to want to just hide my faith, pretend like I don't believe what I believe. Somebody asks me what I do for a living and I I just want to stay quiet. Because sometimes there's enough pressure on me and on you that faith can carry its own unique burden. And so what if we did? I mean, like, what if I did when I felt that pressure to be quiet? What if I just stayed quiet? I mean, when, when church starts to become its own cross, <laughs> what if we just stopped doing it? Like, what if we just turned off the lights? I mean, some of you, then you would be happy. You could just take a nap right now. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, but I mean, like, just permanently, we just like shut it down, turn off the lights, and just stopped. What if you stopped? What if you, like, didn't have to live your faith? I don't mean that you just stop believing in Jesus. I mean, you could believe in Jesus, you could believe in God, but you just stop. Now, some of you, you don't believe in Jesus and you're just being introduced to this idea of believing in God. And so for you, this isn't a a burden and you hearing that, you're like, I don't know if I wanna be part of that. Well, just stick with me for a little bit. Follow along with this sermon. I'm hoping maybe I could pull you in. But there's other people who think that would be great 
They would love it if the church just stopped, and so they would celebrate it because they think, they, they believe that religion is the problem in society, and so they're promoting a secularization of culture. I mean, they believe that the greatest, all the ills of society we've fixed if religion disappeared. Maybe you have even been lured into believing that. Now, let me just say it's not true. We can, as you study history, you find out very quickly that that is not accurate at all, but because so many people believe that, there's an increased pressure on Christians and on the church to just shut it down and go away or at the very least stay quiet. So what if we did? What if we just stopped doing what we do? What if you stopped doing what you should do? I don't mean you have to stop believing in Jesus or stop praying or even stop worshiping. We can do all of that. We just have to do it quietly. Do it in hiding. Do it where nobody sees, and then don't let anybody really know that you're a Christian. Interestingly, that's what some of the Christians in the early church did. That's right. Bear in mind that within a very short amount of time, when the church first began, it quickly began to experience persecution. Um, the The young man, Stephen, was martyred for his faith. He was the first Christian martyr, and quickly after that, others began to be put to death because of their faith in Jesus Christ, and as, as Christianity and the church spread out across the Roman Empire, so the threats and persecution spread with them. To the extent that as new churches began, they quickly would experience persecution, threats, suffering. And, and so as you, you travel across the Roman Empire, so we're talking about the first century and the early church, the Apostle Paul, who bear in mind, was a a radical Jewish leader who was also a religious terrorist. He hated Christians and in fact oversaw the martyrdom of the first Christian, Stephen. Well, he has this radical conversion and becomes a follower of Jesus. So what do you do when you were previously a religious terrorist, hating on it and killing Christians, and now you believe in Jesus? Well, what you do is you go around the known world and you tell people about Jesus. And so that's what Saul, who became Paul, did. He actually used his business to fund the starting up of new churches. And so he went on these big trips across Asia and Europe to begin to start new churches. Uh, when he came to the, the city and the region of Thessalonica, uh, he, he, got, he came to them, that's this city, specifically because it was wealthy, it was large. Uh, and, and so, you know, how do you tell a lot of people about Jesus? You go to a city. So it's wealthy, large, and it was influential. Uh, Thessalonica was a politically powerful city and was basically the center of Roman influence or Roman power in that region. So Paul goes there, he begins to preach, he begins to tell a lot of people about Jesus. The church quickly begins to grow grow and expand and spread out. Well, that attracts attention, particularly from the Jewish leaders in the synagogue in that city who were jealous of the growing influence of the Christians and the Roman political leaders who saw Christianity as a threat to their political power. So, the Christians in the area told Paul, you better get out of here because there was rumors that some they were going to try to kill Paul. So they tell Paul to escape for his life. And so he does. He leaves with his entourage. But as he's leaving, he's pretty concerned 
about the well-being of these Christians and like how well are they going to hold on to their faith in a world that is hating on them? How well are they going to live out their faith in a world that's trying to crush them? So now hopefully you can quickly see how this could be really applicable in our lives because what does Paul do? He writes two letters to the early church in Thessalonica. Um, the and and they're included in the Bible. They're called 1st and 2nd Thessalonians or letters to the church, the the Thessalonian church. And they're specifically written with the goal of the Apostle Paul trying to encourage them because he knows that they're living under threat. They want to hide their faith. In fact, he had heard rumors that they had basically gone underground. I mean, literally went underground. In in this part of the world, if if you were to travel to Rome or many cities in the Roman Empire where Thessalonica was, the, the rock there is really interesting. The ground, you know, it, it, there's a lot of rock, but you can actually dig it almost like dirt. But as you, when it's exposed to the air, then it hardens. And so they would dig what they called catacombs down where they would bury people underground. Uh, you could dig down there. And what they did is they dug, the Christians dug down and they began to dig out basically huge caverns in the, in the rock where they would gather as the church and they could do church, pray, worship, and stay hidden. Nobody knew they were there. Everybody left them alone and they can kind of just go along with their life. When they came back out, no one really was paying attention. They can go on their way and they didn't have to really live boldly their faith in Jesus. So the apostle Paul is writing in the spring of 50 AD, trying to challenge and encourage these Christians that this is not how the Christian faith is lived out. And so let me read to you. We're going to jump to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. So you have, we're going to read some of chapter 1 and chapter 2, but let me go right here. Verse 1 and 2, he goes, you know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was, was not without results. I mean, what we did was effective. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, meaning this suffering thing was totally normal to us. We're used to getting hated on. We're used to getting, you know, beat up. We're used to getting, uh, experiencing persecution, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. And what, he, what he's saying is, look, everywhere we went, we experienced that. That was not a big deal to us. And what he's trying to say is, I don't want you to think that what you're experiencing is something unique, which should drive you into hiding. So he continues, for the appeal that we make does not spring up from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. I mean, what we're telling you is not some lie. It's not a trick. It's not a cult. Our goal is not to get rich quick. Like this isn't a religious scheme to make money. We're not deceived or tricked. No, no, no. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel or the other word for that would be the good news. What is he saying? He goes, look, if if you're spreading a lie, if you're spreading error, you have to do it undercover. You have to do it in in the cover of dark. You, you, you do it in a way that's deceptive and tricky. He goes, but our message is neither a cult nor chicanery. We're not trying to trick you. You know, here, here's the thing about Christianity. The more you study it, the more you get to know about the Christian faith, the more you're convinced that it's true. 
In contrast, cults, they try to avoid you studying them. They try to keep you from learning on your own. They don't want you to dig deep and study it because what you'll discover is that it's deceptive and it's a lie. So the Apostle Paul is saying, look, we're appealing to you because what we're saying is what we know is true. The message is good news and you don't have to be scared of this and you don't have to be shy about it. And here's here is the big challenge. What do you do with this? How, how does the experience of the early church from nearly 2,000 years ago apply to you today, especially when you're thinking about the church in Thessalonica? Here it is. Invisible faith leads to visibly following Jesus. An invisible faith must become visible. That's it. That's the key, right? The Apostle Paul is saying you cannot just live the truth of your faith in secret. You don't get to live this out in hiding. I know you want to live it out in hiding because if you come out of hiding, it could cost you your life. But the message of Jesus was never meant to be comfortable, to make you content. Listen, whether you know this or not, 67% of Americans say that they believe in Jesus. Now, you might roll your eyes at that statistic. Do you, look it up yourself. In fact, crazier than that, 80% of Americans say at some point they pray to Jesus. I don't know where this extra 13% who don't believe in Jesus pray to Jesus, but my guess is that it's like having no atheists in a foxhole, right? Like meaning you'll do whatever it takes when you're desperate. So maybe there's people who pray to Jesus simply because they're like, hey, I don't really believe in him, but if he'll hear my prayer, I'll throw it up there, right? But Oftentimes, people are turning to Jesus either in desperation or as kind of a superstitious quick fix, meaning it's just a religious thing without any deep devotion. And, and that was kind of what religion in the Roman Empire was like. Interestingly, the, the Roman Empire in this era was very permissive of religion. There was a time when they were not. They had their own religion. They had their own gods. They had their own belief system. But as the Roman Empire conquered new lands and spread out, the emperors became somewhat um, tolerant of a lot of different religions. There was one key aspect to this, though. You could be as religious and devoted as you wanted so long as your first loyalty was to Rome. And you didn't, and you didn't believe that your religion was the only religion or the only truth. Then you have the message of Jesus, where the apostle Paul shows up and says, there is only one way to get to heaven. And we only have one loyalty, and that is to our Lord, meaning our King, Jesus. And suddenly, the Roman Empire sees this exclusive Christianity as a threat because these people have a loyalty only to King Jesus, and so they have to be crushed, even though they weren't a threat to the Roman Empire. And here, here's why this matters today, because so many people turn to religion to keep them safe, to make them feel comfortable. But the message of Jesus is this radically bold message that no matter what you're going through, Jesus is better. And so this invisible faith becomes a visible way of living. In fact, if you read the message, you jump back to the first chapter. The Apostle Paul writes this way. He goes like this. Our, our gospel came to you, not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. 
and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. What, what was it that they believed? He, he says, you received this gospel, this good news. What was this good news? It was that every one of us are separated from God and far from God. Every one of us are not deserving of some eternal paradise, but of eternal destruction. We, we are all internally hardwired against God toward our own selfishness, driven by a spiritual corruption in us called sin. And because of sin and the separation from God and this direction toward eternal destruction, we live corrupted. But God, but God became a man. And the message that the apostle Paul preached in across the known world, he preached in Thessalonica, that he's reminding these believers of is, hey, this is the truth. This isn't an error. This isn't a lie. We don't have impure motives. We just want to remind you that you have good news. And when you first received it, it filled you with joy, even in the midst of suffering. What, what was this message? Well, if you go back to the very beginning of the early church, this is Acts chapter 2, verse 36 through 38. It's, it's Luke's account of the very beginning of the early church. This is literally the day it began. It says that the, the apostle Peter gets up and he's preaching. And at the end of his sermon, he says something. He says this, therefore, let all... Now, now Peter is preaching in the city of Jerusalem to a predominantly Jewish environment. But there's a lot of other people there. And he says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. What's the message? It's simply this, that you and I are far from God because of sin. We're corrupted and headed toward an eternity without God. And an eternity without God is utter hell. But God was unwilling to leave you and I far from him, and so he came to us. We couldn't get to him in heaven. There's nothing we could do to earn our way or deserve our way to heaven so, because we were headed to the other place. So God stepped from heaven to earth to rescue us, to save us from our sin. The apostle Peter uh, is preaching. He says, look, this is the only way. And people go, what should we, what can we do to be saved? He goes, repent and be baptized. Then when the, the apostle Peter is, uh, apostle Paul is traveling across the Roman empire, he gets to Thessalonica. He says, I, I presented to you the gospel. You received it with joy. Joy, why? Because we believe that Jesus Christ died on a cross to take on our death sentence. That when he died, he absorbed our shame, our guilt, our sin, our punishment. God died in our place, but he didn't just die. He was buried in the ground in a tomb. Two nights in the tomb, third day, Jesus rises from the dead, victorious. Not over his sin, he was sinless, but over our sin, over our judgment, and over our eternal death sentence. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose for us. That's good news. That means that when I believe in Jesus by faith, that means when you believe in Jesus by faith, you are forgiven of your sins. All the shame, all the guilt washed away. And in place of sin and shame and guilt, 
He gives us his spirit. That's right. God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, comes and lives inside of our eternal invisible spirit. The one that was headed toward destruction. God's spirit comes into us and gives us new and forever life. This is good news. And it should fill every one of our hearts with a a radical joy, even in the midst of a world that you want to escape from, even in the midst of circumstances that sometimes feel unbearable. You're filled with an inner joy. I am forgiven. I have new life. I'm a new person. And I have eternal life. Look, can I just pause for a moment? Maybe a little bit like the apostle Peter preaching in the city of Jerusalem or like the apostle Paul Uh, writing a letter reminding the church in Thessalonica of the message he preached to them. Uh, Maybe you're receiving that message today. Maybe you're willing to hear my words and go, wait, I I want that. I'm ready to believe in Jesus as my Lord, as my Savior, and say yes to him. I'm ready to be forgiven of sin and receive that new and forever life. And if you're ready to make that commitment, you're, you're joining into the community of faith, the church that began on that, in, in Acts chapter two, in the day of Pentecost, you're joining in the church that was spread across the Roman empire and continues 2000 years later. It made its way all the way to Hagerstown, Maryland, all the way to Frederick, Maryland, all the way to Greencastle, Pennsylvania, and across the known world. If you're saying yes to Jesus, would you let us know? You can scan the QR code that we put up on the screen. And when you scan that, fill out the form so one of our pastors can follow up with you to encourage you. So we can remind you a little bit like the Apostle Paul writing letters. Look, we're not going to harass you with endless communication, but we do want to encourage you as you begin this new journey. In faith with Jesus Christ or through faith in Jesus Christ. Here's what I want to challenge you with that you read from this story. Though I'm going to give you a couple key challenges from these verses that I already read. It's this, the gospel, the good news, invites you to be saved, not safe. The Thessalonian church, they wanted to be safe. Jesus promised in the good news. That means I believe that I was, I'm bad, I'm I'm a sinner in need of salvation. Jesus came, he died on a cross, he rose from the dead so that I can be forgiven and given new life, right? That message is good news so that you could be saved, but not safe. The goal of Christianity, the goal of Jesus is to save us from sin for eternity, not to keep us safe in the midst of troubles. So what do you do in the midst of troubles? What, 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 where, how do we kind of live this journey out? Well, the challenge is this. When you think about the way of Jesus, when you think about putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, just, re, I just a moment ago invited anyone who wants to say yes to Jesus to make that commitment. But, but let me challenge every one of you now. The message you receive, the good news of Jesus, is so that you can be saved, not safe. Safe. How can I be comfortable? How can I be content? How can I be happy? How can I be secure from outside troubles and circumstances that make me uncomfortable? Saved. I am confident that no matter what is going on around me, my soul is securely held in the firm grip of God's love. 
You are promised to be saved, not safe. And when we are saved through faith in Jesus Christ, our identity is found in Jesus, and we are not going underground to keep our faith hidden, but the invisible faith of Jesus becomes visible in the way we follow Jesus. Let me jump back into the passage and help you see this for yourself. Let me jump back. uh, Chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, where he he writes this. Our gospel came to you, not simply with words. I mean, I, I didn't just tell you, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, meaning it changed you. There was a power that you experienced. Meaning, some of you right now, you're not just hearing words. You're sensing something. There's a, a power that's coming inside of you, and you're going, what's happening to me? That's not Patrick's preaching. That's God himself. God's power's coming into your life. He's transforming you. He doesn't always... He, God can do all kinds of things with his power, but the greatest thing that God does with his power is he saves sinners. He rescues people who are far from him. God transforms us from the inside out. Paul said, I came with power, with the Holy Spirit, meaning God's presence in me and through my preaching, and with deep conviction, meaning you believe that I believe this because I believe it. One One of my goals when I preach is I want I want people to sense that we're not just talking about this stuff. We deeply believe it. Even if you don't believe it, you believe I believe it. Because you know what the truth is? I do. I believe this. I believe that this is the message that changes everything. And you know we have lived, and you know how we have lived among you for your sake. And so then he continues, he goes, so you, he, he goes like this. He goes, look, we live this out right in front of you. We we weren't hiding it. We weren't faking it. And then he continues. He goes, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And and so he's saying, look, here's what happened. When you believed believed in Jesus and you received this, something happened inside of you. Like you were changed. And the key is this. A conviction to follow Jesus leads to a commitment and courage. When you believe in Jesus by faith, right, you make a commitment to believing in Jesus. That stirs in you a commitment to follow Jesus and the courage to follow Jesus no matter what. I feel like I'm just going to throw that out there and say it. It requires a commitment to say yes to following Jesus. This isn't, this isn't, you're not following Jesus for what you can get out of it in the sense of comfort, security, a, you know, a feeling of safety. No, we're following Jesus and we don't go underground. This isn't some hidden secret faith. This is a bold, living, active faith that we live right in front of everyone. And what happens when we believe in Jesus is we make a commitment to Jesus, and then that stirs in us, right, a conviction. Or, um, or we have this conviction that stirs in us a commitment that calls us to live it out with courage. You look at the example of the Thessalonian church. The Apostle Paul is saying, look, you have a conviction to follow Jesus, so stop following him in secret where nobody sees. What if we all went underground and we just turned off the lights and we pretended like we're not really here? 
What if nobody knew that you were a Christian? That's what Paul is saying. He goes, no, no, no. You have, a com- you, made, you have a conviction to follow Jesus, which means it calls you to a commitment. You've committed to this. Now live it out. And there's a courage that comes with that commitment, a courage to boldly live out your faith. May God give you the courage to live this out. Let, let me give you another piece. Let's jump into the very next verses or, or the verses I just read. He goes, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. All right, let me, let me, let me make a point here. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message. The point is this, following Jesus leads to becoming like Jesus. He said, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. The word imitators there is, is, a, is a word that could be easily translated from the Greek to mean you became mirrors of us or you mimicked us, you became like us. You know, if, as a parent, when you've got your kids, sometimes they, they play this goofy game where they start to repeat everything you say, and it drives you insane. And, and, and then you start, and when you're clever, you kind of start saying things that tell them like, I want to give you all of my money. And they're like, I don't want to give you all my money. I want to give you my bike. I want to give you my dress. I don't want to watch any more TV. And then they stop, they stop mimicking you, right? Um, What Paul is saying is you became imitators, followers, repeaters of the life of Jesus. When you believe in Jesus, right, this invisible faith becomes a visible lifestyle. This this invisible forgiveness becomes a visible confession of faith. You become, when you follow Jesus, you become like Jesus. In fact, if you go back to the story in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11, verse 36, you're in the... It's, it's talking about the, this early church in Antioch. And, and there's this statement there. It says they were first called Christians, Christians in Antioch. The, the word there in Greek is actually this word that translates something like they became like Christ. Ones who were like Christ. And, and they were actually making fun of them. <laughs> there's those people who are mirrors like Jesus. They're, they're mimicking Jesus. And the apostle Paul said, look at you. You became imitators of us and of Jesus. You watched the way we lived. We were living like Jesus. And as a result, you began to mimic, mirror the life of Jesus. If you had to stand trial for being a Christian, would there be enough visible evidence to find you guilty? If your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates came in as witnesses, could they testify to you about you and could they provide enough testimony to prove that you are like Jesus? Are you like Jesus in his character, his love, his compassion, his sacrifice, his service, his focus on eternity, which means he made his life about sharing the good news with others and living for eternity, not for what he could get out of this life. Are you becoming more like Jesus? And then let me give you one final challenge. First Thessalonians chapter one, verse six through eight. And let me read a little more here. He goes like this. He goes, 
you, you became imitators of us in the Lord uh, as you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And then he continues, the, the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, your faith in God has become known everywhere. They tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He goes like this, here's what happened. You guys, Took, you, you took this message and you lived it so boldly, so radically that like there's lots of people that know you're Christians. Here's the point. Follow Jesus' way, then lead the way for others. Live your life in such a way that the community around you knows you believe in Jesus. Why am I preaching this message? I, I wanna encourage those that are far from Jesus that this is not something spoken in error. It's not a lie. It's not being shared for impure motives. This is the truth. This is the good news of God's love. For those of you that believe in Jesus, I wanna give you a challenge that your primary responsibility is to follow Jesus, that your invisible faith must become a visible following of Jesus. The good that God puts in you will come out of you. I'm challenging you as Christians that you don't go underground and hide your prayer life, your worship, your service, your commitment. But God gives you a, he calls you to commitment and courage so that you live out your faith in front of a watching world. You follow the way of Jesus. And as you follow Jesus, right, you're not leading. You're following, you're becoming like Jesus. But when you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you're leading others in your footsteps toward Jesus. Would you live this out boldly? Let me invite you to pray with me right now. I, I scripted out a prayer. For some of you, this is a little uncomfortable, so you can pray however you wanna pray, but I wanna invite you, would you just respond with me in prayer right now? I, I wrote this out. I'm gonna invite you to say it with me. E even those of you, you're, you're joining us, you're, I'm coming to you on, through the screen. Look, I, I know this is connected with you, and so would you just, it's a brief prayer. I just want you to pray this with me right now. Would you pray? I'll, I'll, here's what I'm gonna do. I know this is a little bit difficult. So I'm gonna say it, and then as a church, you're going to repeat it. You ready? Here we go. Jesus. You're going to say Jesus. Okay, here we go. Let's, let's do that again. Jesus, let my unseen faith become visible in the way I follow you. Help me to become more like you. Help me to mimic your life and teachings and help me to show others the way to knowing and loving you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.